hear the word that you've given to him today. May it pierce our hearts. May it pierce our minds. May it, may it cause us to do more than just be a taker on Sunday mornings. Help us to do less taking and more giving. And no matter what cross it is that we have to pick up, because we all have one or like a thousand to bear, you are our foundation. Jesus, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you so much for this place. This place being our hearts and voices and minds united in worship and now united in hearing the public proclamation of your word. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you. All right, we're ready to roll. Uh, I have a couple of announcements before we get started. You can go ahead and pass those offering buckets. Uh, Don't go in front of the camera, but excuse me, Megan sent me some announcements for today. So I'm just going to read them. The first announcement was no sports. And then Day for Hope is next Saturday at church. Are we at Church of the Palms or Church Light of the World Church? Light of the World Church, please pray for the families. If you're still wanting to volunteer, get in touch with Cianne. Um, We want to remind you that you can give online uh, for Grace Life. We want to thank you for your continued generosity during this time. Also, if you want to mail a check, the address is on our website. You can check it there and you can give through that. And then there was one more announcement, which was no sports. She wrote that twice for some reason. I don't know. All right. So. Uh, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the pastor here at Grace Life. We're continuing with our series on the Gospel of Mark. This is week number 38. Can you believe it? 38 sermons on the Gospel of Mark. We probably have about 30 more to go. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, we've entitled this one, Let Go of Those Dreams. Now, that title, right? Come on, Pastor Joe. What kind of title is that? It just seems so depressing, doesn't it? So un-American. And dreams are an important part of our life, and we all have the dreams and aspirations for life, what it could be, maybe for some of us what it should be but isn't. We have corporate dreams. In other words, dreams that we have maybe as a nation or as a church, as a group of people. Some people have dreams for a race or an ethnicity for the type of country we want to have, maybe some sort of politics you want to see thrive, some kind of moral beliefs. But then we also have these personal dreams, right? These personal aspirations of financial security, (coughs) excuse me, physical health, aspirations about our relationships. Maybe we're looking for that perfect relationship. Maybe we want a good family life. Maybe we want to make sure we have a good reputation. We have a lot of aspirations and dreams. Some go as far to preach that the gospel is a prosperity gospel, promising success and riches and blessings if you follow Jesus. And if if you'll be honest, consciously or subconsciously, we connect our dreams as unspoken expectations for a vibrant relationship with God. And Some of you may say, well, no, I worship God, whatever happens, but I'll reveal something later that I think might make you realize that's not true. Look, none of these dreams are wrong. They're noble aspirations. 
And of course, as Christians, we do add the obligatory, if that's what God wants, then that's what I want. But do we really mean that? What if following Jesus actually means that some or all of these dreams that we have never come to pass? You know, for thousands and thousands of believers over the course of 2,000 years, that's been the case. They have followed Christ and none of their dreams came true on earth. What if we end up like them? What if we end up with no dreams or no aspirations that we aspire to? Has God failed? Maybe we failed. Maybe we weren't following hard enough. Was following Jesus a bad decision? Well, of course, we would never admit that out loud, especially in church. Usually what we do, and if you'll follow me, what we'll do then is if we're following Jesus, but we're not getting those dreams or aspirations that we have for a successful business or certain relationships, what we do is we just kind of back off following just a little bit and pay a little more attention to our dreams with our efforts and our attitude and our time and our treasure. We desire those at those times more vigorously than we desire following Jesus. And we simply, stealthily change our priorities, but we still look and talk like we're following Jesus. We still call him Lord, but we have our eyes on an earthly prize. That's the story we're looking at today. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 38. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So we are going to look at three applications like we always do. First, the history of the passage. I want to talk about dreams of their fathers. The disciples and, frankly, all of Israel had a Messiah just for them in their mind. For much of this time, Jesus has actually been fighting with this messianic dreamship that the disciples inherited from their forefathers. After Peter has declared, Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, well, you're Messiah. They're convinced, the disciples, that they're about to realize for themselves centuries of hoping and waiting. Generations before them have dreamed of Messiah ushering in the return of the kingdom of David and his son Solomon. That was a powerful Israel. And they're looking for the defeat of big government Rome. This is their righteous hope. And the prophets teach this is the will of God. This is what is going to happen. But it's much more than just a national hope they have. They hunger for the personal power and influence that being very connected to the Messiah would bring. Remember we talked about the argument that John and James had. Who's going to sit next to you? They're looking forward to a kingdom and a temple just like when Solomon was king that all the world looked to for worship of Jehovah. And if they wanted to worship Jehovah, they came to the temple bringing commerce with them, leaving Jerusalem with incredible power, wealth, and influence. This is what they hope in. And the disciples, the closest friends of Messiah, man, 
This is off the charts, Jeremiah 20, 29, 11, I have plans for you type of stuff, isn't it? I mean, think about it. We are living Jeremiah 29, 11. He has plans for a prosperous future, and it is tied to this guy, Messiah. He is going to rule. He's going to reign. He's going to destroy Rome. He's going to reestablish the temple as the spiritual capital of the world, and we are right here, front row. <clears throat> but they had the wrong Messiah. Their personal view of Messiah, while seemingly looks like it's biblical, right? It's in line with what the prophets were saying. It seems righteous. This was actually a view of Messiah that was tainted by their personal and national earthly dreams. Their dreams and aspirations are, in fact, the exact opposite of what real Messiah has come to accomplish. Peter, disciples, all of Israel have an earthly image of Messiah they think is based on Scripture. It's right there in the prophets. None of them, not one of them, has room in their national or personal dreams for the crucifixion of this long-awaited Messiah. That's not even in their thoughts. And we learned two weeks ago how Jesus popped their dream bubble when he started teaching about the sufferings of Messiah. This Messiah that you're waiting on, it's me, and he's going to be rejected. He's going to be wrongfully prosecuted. He's going to be persecuted. He's going to be tortured, and it won't be pretty. And in the end, he's going to die. But he will rise again. The problem is it is not easy for them to let go of their dreams. Their view of Messiah is a worldly one, but it's the one Satan wants. That's why Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. <clears throat> they are wed to this idea of Messiah after generations of culture, education, and human personal selfishness and arrogance has made it part of their fabric. It's the natural course of human depravity. And Peter does attempt, we learned this last week, Peter does attempt to teach Jesus about messianic prophecy. Isn't that funny? No, 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 Jesus you got it all wrong. I need to teach you about messianic prophecy. I need to teach you about the right public policy. I need to teach you about the correct politics we're going to need you to undertake if you're going to meet our dreams and aspirations of what Messiah should be. This is how deep their commitment to their dreams ran. But Jesus warns them. He says, you've got to let go of these dreams and these hopes and the messianic hope you have for all of Israel and, frankly, for yourselves. But Jesus knows that them letting go of this is not going to be easy. These long-held, passionate, individualistic, nationalistic dreams won't be easy to get rid of. They're going to have to go through a major paradigm shift. Their worldly dreams must be, get this, shattered and replaced with eternal dreams. And his public rebuke of Peter, get behind me, Satan, wasn't just meant for Peter. We like to think it is, and I'm certainly the disciples when they see Peter, you got what you had coming to you. <clears throat> but it's a lesson they all needed to learn. So what Jesus does is he takes this moment of embarrassment and shame that Peter was facing when, when in front of everyone Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, that had to be shameful. And he uses it to teach all of them. <clears throat> Which brings us to the spiritual part of our passage. What can they expect? 
Jesus says, look, I want to tell you about following Messiah. And there's a reason why Mark puts this at the end of chapter 8. This whole chapter, Jesus has been what? Rebuking politicians. Rebuking political passion. He's saying the, 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 the hard right conservative Pharisees, the, the far left liberal Sadducees, all of them are wrong. I'm not interested in any of their dreams, any of their aspirations. He has been eviscerating Israeli politics the whole time. And to assure that his disciples don't miss, thinking that this little rebuke of get behind me Satan was just about Peter, he calls a crowd, a nearby crowd of people together, and he begins to teach them this important lesson in front of witnesses. He teaches them publicly. It's not for the crowd, really. It's for the disciples. And he proceeds to reveal a quite depressing reality. Following me is not going to serve your earthly dreams. If you are here, or you are following this, if you're in this for the earthly blessings, a string of personal victories you'll get to experience, power and influence, think again, guys. And he begins to define what following Messiah really means, what denying yourself really looks like, and what it's going to cost. So we have a Greek word I want to teach you. Akalatheo. This is the word follow, if you follow me. And, and the Greek word actually means it's, it's a tense that says it's a continuing action. Here's the, here would be the actual English translation. If anyone wants to come after me, let him follow me. It means continually. Let him be following me. Not just follow me on Sunday. Not even Monday. <clears throat> but he says he has to continually follow me. Here's what Jesus is saying. Listen to me. You want to follow Messiah? Not only is it not going to be pretty, it's not a one-time choice. It's a daily struggle. It's an impossible accomplishment, humanly speaking. How are you guys done with it? Have you been able to follow Jesus with all your heart two days in a row? I haven't. I'm hard, I have a hard time 15 minutes, and I'm distracted by my own personal dreams. See, following Jesus is never going to be, and this is important, for a lot of people, it is never going to be the result of an emotional decision. Some incredible mountaintop spiritual experience. It's not going to happen because you attended a worship service. Well, I take that back. It will if you do this one, but no, I'm just kidding. It's not going to happen in a worship service. What you're going to have to do is abandon your personal view of Messiah. Stop hoping for it. Struggling for it. You've got to give up on it. You're going to have to abandon pursuit. He's telling this to his disciples. You're going to have to abandon pursuit of your earthly hopes for political prosperity, for the destruction of Rome. You're going to have to put all your personal agendas aside, and you must be willing, disciples, to let go of your most precious aspirations. And you're going to have to be willing to suffer with me, suffer for me. He doesn't stop there. He says, look, you're going to have a cross of your own. He says, in addition, following me continually, which is what that Greek word means, to continue to follow, means you must be willing to take up your own cross. <clears throat> now, what does he mean by that? See, the disciples knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross. The cross was a strong, hated symbol of Roman legal and military authority. That's what the cross is. So when somebody says the cross, their thought was Rome. 
It, it represents the ultimate fate of all who dare to come against the authority of the Roman Empire. That's what it represents. He says, I'm not here to restore the kingdom of Solomon, guys. That dream is dead. It's not coming back. Your only hope is to continually follow me. And they knew exactly what he was saying. Here's what he's saying. Pick up your cross. That's what this, would mean. That's what this means. Roman authority over you isn't going underwear. It will remain, and you will still be living under it. In addition, with the cross, it means that you could possibly lose everything you hold dear in this world, even your life. See, this isn't some sort of name it and claim it gospel Jesus is preaching, is it? <clears throat> it's not a seeker-sensitive message that a lot of churches try to peddle. It's not designed to bring in everyone. I mean, Jesus already had that opportunity several times, didn't he? All he had to do was heal people, feed them, and they would come flocking. That wasn't his goal. The gospel sounds kind of like bad news, really, doesn't it? That's because it has nothing to do with this world. The gospel has only to do with the next world. It's about a suffering Messiah, willing to die, because he wants to save his people from eternal shame that Peter experienced just a little bit of. There will be a time when I come in power, but it's not now. Right now, it's about suffering and possibly dying. I want to talk about real shame. You think Peter was ashamed when Jesus said, in front of everyone, get behind me, Satan? You think he felt a tinge of, oh my gosh, they're all looking at me, and they heard him say, Satan. I mean, it's not a stretch, right, to assume that Peter was completely embarrassed by this rebuke. Certainly he was ashamed. <coughs> what Jesus does is he uses Peter's moment of shame as a powerful object lesson to teach the disciples about what real shame really is. What if I was the Messiah you wanted? And Rome is vanquished. The temple is now once again the envy of the spiritual world. You are in power. But that Messiah didn't die for you. It ends in shame. Because when you leave this world, you will lose your soul. This is what he means when he says, what if it doesn't profit if you gain the whole world, but lose your soul? This shame is nothing compared to what you will face when I do return in power and you failed to follow me. That's the real shame, Peter, disciples, guys. Imagine the eternal shame of putting your hope and trust in earthly messiahs that never come. You must let go of the dreams of your forefathers. Their messiah does not exist. That messiah isn't coming. I am it, the suffering Messiah. I'm all you're getting. <clears throat> Let's talk about the personal application to this scripture. I want to talk about earthly messiahs and what hope really should look like. <clears throat> so this was the Sunday sermon preview that I put up in the social media campaign. Be honest. What earthly blessings do you expect from God in exchange for faithfully following Jesus? So I think... <coughs> Excuse me, a lot of people made good comments 
you know, all I want is Jesus, on, you know, on Facebook. There were some nice comments, and they were probably theologically accurate, but I don't think they really meant them. I'm not judging them. I'm just talking about human nature. Because <clears throat> the bottom line is, I believe, even if we don't want to admit it, we have a list of earthly expectations in exchange for following Jesus. I listed some of them earlier. <clears throat> the economy of our own lives, our physical health, our relationships, happy families, a respected reputation. We have a long list. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. If your idea of blessed is defined by these earthly aspirations, if we're honest, many of you listening right now here or online, you have reason to be extremely depressed and angry with God, don't you? Because your dreams aren't even close to coming true. Following Messiah with hope in earthly promises is the wrong way to go. <clears throat> following hope, Messiah with hope in eternal promises, that's the path to avoid shame, to avoid losing your souls. And how willing are you to give up hope in those things for the sake of following Jesus? So I want to talk about this idea of eternal treasure. <coughs> I'm going to read a verse to you in Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 21, a passage. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. This is what Jesus is talking about, by the way. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust does corrupt, destroy, and thieves break in and steal. <clears throat> but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is where your heart will be <clears throat> also. Anything you accomplish in this world, be it obtaining power, money, birthing some sort of powerful political movement, all these things, <clears throat> pursuing things we used to think perhaps were Jeremiah-type promises, reveal where our true hope really is. It's where your real heart is. <clears throat> In the end, all those things, the treasures on earth, and it's not just gold, right? I just listed some. In the end, we die. And all that we built up, our political movement, our money, our relationships, even our family, everything on earth fades. It all burns away. <coughs> and our hope must be in eternity. That sounds easy, right? Obviously, we know things are on earth are temporary, so we'll put our hope in eternity. But I got to tell you, I think it's almost impossible to follow Jesus. Anybody with me on that? Are you intimidated right now as much as I am about daily continuous following of Jesus and what that means for you? <clears throat> In Matthew, there's a story of a rich man who had earthly treasures. And he's asking Jesus, how could he have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you've got to be willing to let go of all this earthly stuff, all this rich things you got. The rich man left depressed because he had a lot of earthly hope. <clears throat> Didn't want to let go of it. Then Jesus taught his disciples that a camel can go through the straw of hay easier than a rich man can find eternal life. <clears throat> That's what he says. And the disciples at this point, they're kind of perplexed, right? <clears throat> they say, Jesus, well, how could anyone ever be saved? <clears throat> Look what Jesus says to them in Matthew 19. Jesus looked at them after they asked this question and said, with man, this is impossible. You feel better now? <clears throat> but with God, all things are possible. He's not talking about winning a football game, starting a business. He's talking about salvation. If 
following Jesus. <clears throat> Look, our ability to continually, daily follow Jesus is a result of the gift of faith, which transforms our hopes. It transforms and changes what it is we treasure. You guys know my favorite passage in Scripture, Ephesians 2, I'm borrowing verse 10. For we are his workmanship, <clears throat> created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. The idea of walk in, doesn't that have a little bit of a feel like follow? Even our fellowship is the result of his work in our lives. His sovereign grace, his sovereign salvation that he imparts to us through the gift of faith is that power with which that we can follow him continually. And that gives us hope for a future. <clears throat> Before we roll our eyes and shake our heads at Peter and the disciples, you know, how could you? How confident are you that your hope is in the right place today? Want to make sure? You want a little test? Want to make sure you don't have it in the wrong place like the disciples did? I got one for you if you want it. If not, you can leave, but I've got one if you want to stay. <clears throat> I've mentioned Jeremiah a couple times, right? Look at this passage. <clears throat> for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you. Isn't that a great verse? <clears throat> you like that one, right? It's extremely popular. We use it all the time to comfort hurting people, even to comfort ourselves. <clears throat> Don't worry, your God has plans for you. <clears throat> Prosperity, success, he loves you. He's got your back. Your future is bright. You know, I could never really put my finger on it, but whenever I heard this verse used in that context, I just didn't like it. You know, i got plans for a bright future. And I thought, yeah, I guess, but <clears throat> I never used it that way. I could never really bring myself to use it in that way. Not because I'm so righteous and so smart. It's just something didn't jive with what Jesus teaches and what Jeremiah was saying, right? I mean, look how many Christians have died with no bright future. <clears throat> this week during sermon prep, it dawned on me why. That popular application of promises from Jeremiah to today or to this life is a misunderstanding of the prophets. See, this is an eternal blessing coming from and for all nations, right? It's not a personal blessing, an earthly blessing. In verse 14, we see that. Doesn't this sound more like heaven? What are you saying? I gather you from all nations? Knowing what we know that Jesus is teaching? Jeremiah isn't some earthly, temporary promise. It's not treasures on earth. It's an eternal promise. This is the mistake that Peter made and the disciples made. They thought prophecies like the one in Jeremiah was for this life. Make sense? It's not. Thinking of the promises of Jeremiah 
as for this life indicates we have subconsciously, unwittingly placed our hope in treasures on earth. See, we're going to have to let go of those aspirations. We're going to have to forget about that. We're going to have to turn our eyes on Jesus. We're going to have to trust the power that's written in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And we're going to have to be willing to watch the things of earth grow strangely dim. Because in the end, if we're looking at Jeremiah as for today, or maybe 10 years from now, we are misunderstanding the prophets just like the disciples did. Jesus says, hey, this life is not what it's about. You're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to follow me continually. But what's impossible with man, don't worry, it's possible with God. And if we allow God to do that in our life, on that day when he does return in power, there will be no shame. There will be glory, excitement, and worship. Until then, we're going to need the help from each other. I hope you never look at Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14 the same way again. <clears throat> it is not about this life. According to Jesus, it's about the next one. Heavenly Dad, <clears throat> we want to thank you so much that you give us a hope that is beyond this world. Lord, I've been let down by this world so many times, <clears throat> yet somehow, every once in a while, I'll get distracted and I start striving for those things of the, of the world, these earthly treasures, I start laying them up. But then you bring circumstances into my life, just like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, and you steer me back to following you. Lord, protect us from that temptation. Help us to recognize that the promises that you gave to Jeremiah for us, they're not for today. They're for tomorrow. And frankly... I'd rather have them then. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here today. For those of you that are watching online at home, uh, we're excited about a lot of things going on at Grace Life. But uh, if there's anything going on in your life and you're struggling, please let us know. We got your back. Have a great week and we'll be in contact.